All right, and we're in. This is the Dialogue Box with Gwen Frey, and today we are joined with Jason Mojica. Hello, everybody. Hello. Chris Light cannot be joining us, I'm afraid. He's actually had some bad news. Um, he was recently laid off from Yaw Wolf. They had a massive layoff, and he's oh, no. transitioning back to the UK. Oh, what? I know. Oh, God. And oh, I, I don't want to start on a downer. Everything's downers these days, though. Well, that sucks. When did that happen? Was it during the week? Uh, I think it was just a couple days ago, yeah. What? Yeah. He's got, like... The other thing is, because he moved here from the UK and he doesn't have any stuff. I don't know how this works, but, like, he... Basically, they're like, okay, now you have, you don't have a job. And he's like, okay, um, I have to leave the country. Are you going to fly me home? And they're like... Mm. Do we legally have to? And he's like, I don't know. I was kind of hoping you would know, being as you're the one that laid me off and stuff. And then they had to like scramble. And then I guess they've uh, they've agreed to fly him home, uh, so that he is not, I guess, deported by. Oh well. Because it's actually very expensive to get flights from Santa Fe to the UK, and you know, it's just a whole thing. <sighs> I, I remember um, one of our coworkers. When they left Irrational, uh, there was some interesting legal stuff that happened because they had bought their visa or something, and they tried to get them to pay like ten thousand dollars to leave or something like Ooh, that. Yeah, well, a lot of those. So what usually happens is you'll get if you're being moved to America for one thing, they'll they'll pay for your relocation, yeah. so they'll give you like ten thousand dollars to physically move your stuff <laughs> and to move yourself. Um, but if you leave within a year, they make you pay that back. And that's what their way of saying, like, look, we're paying a lot of money to bring you here. You better stick around. Don't just take this and then leave within a month. But generally, yeah. when you get laid off, uh, they, you don't have to pay that back usually. I don't think he I don't think he was laid off. I think they left. He, she, whoever it may be, <laughs> was uh, left. And then, but the thing is, is like we went through like some crazy hardcore crunch just before that. So it was like they put in their time. You know, everybody kind of put in their time. Uh, so I feel like yeah. there's a. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. <clears throat> that happened to a few people actually. You uh, do. But one of them got a lawyer and then they left him alone. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's the one I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like. It does become a thing where it's like, what if, the, what if you bring somebody over and you pay for their visa and you pay to move them and then you make them immediately crunch really hard so that they burn out and they leave within a year, but they feel trapped. They can't leave within a year because you've got these golden handcuffs, which is if you try it's, to leave, you have to pay back your relocation, your visa and shit. It's so, pretty messed up. So it's like, if you try to quit, you owe $15,000. That's a really fucked up situation to be in. It really is. Because not only would you be like, 15K is a lot of money to go, like, you essentially would have made nothing while being there. And you would have worked really hard while you were there. Yeah. And that to me is, but I mean, I see, it's like one of those weird injustices. And I, I see I the other side of it, it too. Because like getting a visa for somebody <laughs> is extremely difficult, extremely time consuming. And it costs a lot more than they're actually asking to pay back. And if you pay right. for that visa and you pay to move somebody and then they quit within a month and they just used your company to move here, that sucks too. Yeah, so I, I'm sure it's there's It's not like, like there's no reason for this, but... Yeah, I mean, that's sort of there to protect the company as well. But I felt like in our situation where like the crunch and everything like that, 
they probably should have handled that a little bit differently. Yeah. I mean, you get Riot has a system where if you want to leave within the first, I think it's like a couple months or something. Basically, they have a completely different system for what I understand. Well, they'll pay you. They'll pay you to quit. They, they, they give you, like, if I recall, if you quit, if you want to leave, if you want to quit uh, pretty early on, they will not only not require you to pay anything back, they will pay you to leave. Because some people just aren't a culture fit. Which you That's can go back and forth. Like, I liked that a lot more before the stories came out about Riot. <laughs> before mm. the stories came out, I was like, damn, that's interesting. <laughs> then the stories came out, and I'm like, damn, they might have a real fucked up culture. Like, it's hard to say which <laughs> side of that. Like, it's really hard to know from the outside. Yeah, I feel like... Because now it's suspicious. I, yeah. I feel like if you've been in the, indus the AAA industry for long enough... Like most of this material could be put into a comedy special where <laughs> it's like taken at face value as a joke. Because, <laughs> like, some oh, of it's yeah. just so ridiculous. Well, at the other side of that, I mean, it becomes the thing where. Or do you remember early on when they were like, oh, we're going to give you free, you know, snacks and free food and you have cots <laughs> so you can sleep in the you can take a nap in the office and you first hear about that and you're like this is cool this is basically like home away from home and then you're like oh because they never want you to leave yeah that's the other side of it and they're like check out those. these cool metal bracelets we got <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they attach you to your desk so when you close by your computer turns on automatically yeah oh god or like what was the um you know you think about this when you start a company because we were thinking about so I remember early on when we were founding the molasses sled, we were talking about what do we do once we actually have employees because we were about to start staffing up right when I was leaving. And mm -hmm. we had a lot of conversations about how much PTO do we give? Because up until then, we had the idea of like, if you want to take time off, just take time off. But yep. the thing is that cuts both ways. Like sometimes that's a sign of a company that's really open-minded, you know, a, a company that totally trusts you. But on the other hand, there's a lot of companies where you feel pressured to never take that time off and yep. you can be on a role where it's like you're always kind of required and it never feels like it's the right time to take it off. And even if you don't intend to as somebody who owns a company, even as somebody who owns a company, you can be like, we have this really open policy because we want to be as understanding as possible. But people can take that the wrong way. They can take that to people can <clears throat> can feel put the pressure on themselves, but feel like it's coming from you or whatever, you know? Yeah, like I mean, I I had a very similar situation when I was working at Starbreeze as the lead and like some of the employees were kind of like pretty lax. Some of them were on time and uh, some of them were early and then some of them would just come in like 30 minutes late. You know, it's like kind of like whatever. It was super chill. Wait, for the you most had a, part. the concept of late? <clears throat> what was that? You had like a dedicated start time at Starbreeze? No, that's the thing. But they so, like, sort of were like, hey, you late? should come in around... You should come in before 10 because all like all morning mm. meetings started at like 10. Okay, core um, hours. So if you, yeah, core hours. It's like, you know, it's the core hours thing. Yeah. Um, but some people, <clears throat> you know, would just kind of chill and come in a little later than that. And, you know, to me, it was like, you know, these were high functioning individuals. They could get their work done. So it wasn't a big deal, um, at least for me. And especially because when, when, when I was working in the AAA industry in the States, if you were like 10 minutes late, you got talked to it was like you and it was stressful it was very what? stressful no yes yeah. i've rolled in it in every job <clears throat> maybe I've it's ever. different maybe it's different per discipline or something like that but i remember design? even at raven at irrational 
Uh, I did, yeah. I think, uh, I think maybe like a few times. But the thing, the other thing too was, uh, even at Raven, and this just goes beyond irrational. It was like, like even at Raven, I, I showed up like I don't know, fifteen minutes late one day, and I was going in the side entrance, <laughs> just because that's where I parked. And one of the leads from like the other side of the building just happened to be walking by at a brisk, brisk pace to be like, "Hey, you're late, and you should never show up on like late like this." And I was just thinking, like, what do you do here? You know, I just got so angry. I was like, I was like, do you know you don't even do anything here? Like, you're just grandfathered into this situation. Like, why are you telling? And then same guy gave me a review that was like the wrong review for somebody else at the studio. I was like, dude, I know there's a lot of Jasons here, but you can't. Fucking Mohican problems, man. (laughs) But yeah, going to Sweden, it was like, going to Sweden was super chill. It that's, was, that's it was not more Sweden. relaxing. You just had some shit bosses. Like, I don't know, yeah. especially at tech, like, you, nobody cares. I've never had anybody care when I roll in. So long as the work gets done, that's the that's most That's because they thing. know you're the one that's running the boat. Like, <laughs> you, you're the tech people don't get don't get told no as much. Like, it's always, it, that's, I've I would never, say that's most I'm never technically tech. I just work with it. Like, my, most of the time I'm working with programmers, most of the time they're not going to be in before noon anyway. Like, if I get in at 10 oh. or I'm, um, the first one in the office no matter what so if i get in at noon i'm probably the first one in the office so it doesn't really matter like when your boss rolls in like yeah. El- nah, elmar actually was always an early bird so. yeah who else was a super early bird steven alexander would be there at 4 a.m yeah. and i was like we were we stayed late one night working on something me and like i think two other people and uh at like four in the morning uh it wasn't a security guard that walked by us it was steven he was like hey guys and i was like he sounds like really bright and chipper. And I was like, I was like, Steven, what are you doing here? It's four in the morning. He's like, yeah, I like to come in early and like get a lot of work done. Oh, I totally understand that too for him because he is in a situation where he was like, he's the primary effects person, but he was also the person who knew the most of the scripting. He was just very important. So the second other people are in the office, he gets randomized by other people just all damn day. So he just, and it reaches a point where (laughs) I've done what he does, so I know it. Like, mm. when the people you work with a lot tend to stay later and later, it eats into your time. So you start, maybe it's accidental at first, and you realize it's a really good idea, just coming in earlier and earlier, because that that's how you steal your hours. So like, if all the programmers are going to come in at, like, noon and stay until 2 a.m., then yeah. you want to be the one that comes in at 6 a.m. so that you can get your shit done without being randomized yeah. by the programmers. Yeah, no, that makes true. sense. I mean, literally, from... From the point that people showed up to the point that like he left, he was helping other people do stuff, yeah. and I do, I remember feeling that too when I was when I was lead at, at Starbreeze, I was constantly chasing things down for everybody, and then it'd be like everybody would leave, and then I'd be like, <sighs> yeah. I guess I'll start getting my work done. <laughs> so you do it on one side or the other, and generally you try to. Uh, <clears throat> Depending on who you are, you basically do the opposite. Like, you reverse crunch pro- it. You come in earlier. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that's why Elmore gets in so early. That makes sense. I right? probably should have, you know, just thinking about that, I probably should have done that too because when it gets too late in Stockholm, the the, the subway stops. So I would always end up getting um, taxis home because mm-hmm. it was just quicker. It would take like 10, 15 minutes for taxi, but like 40 by train. And, uh, and I remember like... During one summer, I racked up like, 
I think I racked up like $5,000 in like taxi bills or something like that. Did you get the company to reimburse you for that? I did. And I felt bad every time. <laughs> I felt really bad. Uh, and I remember, they, crunch, I remember they gotta Bo's pay. mom would look at me and be like, you should stop staying late. <laughs> Bo's mom? Yeah, she was the HR lady. The uh, CEO of the company's mom was the sort of like HR lady. She was working. She was like, I don't even know how old she is. She must have been like. 70 or 80. That is the weirdest version of a family business I've ever known. Usually it's the kids working for the all. Yeah, weird. No, I think she just likes to stay busy. And I think that's really cool. Um, She was really nice. Super nice. That's awesome, Um, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But we were we were talking about. uh, I don't know what we were talking about. But uh, I don't think we had started talking yet, actually. I think we just kind of went on this. We were going to I was going to complain about about my week, but, you know, (laughs) Oh, we were talking about uh, Chris and then like the uh, compensation yeah. packages and like all kinds of like <laughs> things with like paying your visa and yeah, oh yeah. Gosh. All yeah, right, I well, had to, I had to leave the country. I don't know. Like a, a lot of this stuff, when you're starting a business, you want to do the thing that's right for all the people. But it's just, and this is, I've talked about this. Uh, uh, we we completely agree, and I've talked about this a million times. Like the ideal solution in my mind is to keep your company as small as possible. Only have like one to three. The scope I'm working at, one to three people in the company use a lot of contracting, specifically contract houses, not individual contractors. So you don't contribute to the gig economy, you know, and you can try to do everything right and you can still mess it up. Like, because some amount, like. I mean, I I share that sentiment as well, because I early on, I mean, I wanted to I wanted to bring on a bunch of people and just realize that logistically we wouldn't be able to do it like we don't have the money to bring on a bunch of people full time mm-hmm. um just because like if you do that and you and you screw up once your your company can fold yeah. like even with like one person um, and it, it's well yeah paying people is going to be the most expensive thing but and then there's the other side of it you don't want to hire people contract because that contributes to the gig economy and that's part of what's why there's so much anxiety in the world today i think and and you don't want to make people work for free and like there's no perfect solution and there's so much risk in tech right like yeah. everything could get canceled so i don't i honestly believe the vast majority of people like anytime a story breaks uh where like a lot of people are upset about the way something went down. I always try to think about the best case scenario where the business owner was doing what they thought was right and good mm-hmm. in the moment to try to, it's all, because most of the time that is true. It's just unintended consequences for things. Yeah. yeah. It's shitty. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, yeah, no, yeah. it's, it's interesting. I mean, I'd like to, I'd love to ask more indies like about that that moment in time where they were like we're gonna we're gonna grow you know and you can kind of look at a whole handful of indies within the last like five or six years that were like okay we're we're gonna grow but i'd love to see the ones like just hear from the ones that did and then also from the ones that decided not to and just get like a good sample size of the ones that are still around and the ones that have like kind of like perished i guess yeah i mean we could talk about uh, i mean i have these conversations a lot um a really good friend of mine somebody i showcased a game next to gion owned a made a game called contrast 
you might know his studio got purchased by Microsoft pretty recently. Um, I think so. He also made a game. Shit, <laughs> I'm spacing on the name of it right now. But uh, he he basically every time you you move up, every time you scale up, the culture of your studio changes, and there's way sure. more stress and way more pressure because you have to keep everybody employed. Um, it make it impacts the kinds of decisions you can make. It impacts how risky you can be. I think, yeah. like it, it just changes, just changes your perspective. <clears throat> it's one of the, I mean, there's there's two sides of it too. In a way, it could make you safer. Like the only reason you can't sell a company to Microsoft if your company is one person. That's not even really selling a company. That's just sort of an aqua hire, right? <laughs> like they're just hiring you at that point, right? Yeah. Um, so unless you have a killer IP, like uh, I was gonna say, like you have to have a unless you have if your name and your and your your, if your IPs have weight behind them. Yeah, okay. There's a difference there. That's true. Um, but I mean, hiring a person uh, versus just buying the studio with one person kind of is the same. Would cost about the same. It's the IP that and the tech possibly that distinguishes it. Mm-hmm. I go into that too. I think the value of tech goes down. Uh, you know what? You want to talk about double fine? Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. It made a lot of sense for Tim Schafer to sell Double Fine to Microsoft. I don't think it made a lot of sense for Microsoft to buy Double Fine. Hmm. And I'll go into why. Here's my theory. Because I've, okay. uh, I've thought this through. Put me on that roller coaster. I'm okay. strapping it. <laughs> I think, I like, Double Fine has been, I, I totally empathize with Tim Schafer's position. Like, it is very difficult to constantly be pitching games to the public to publishers like it wears you down constantly trying to get your work funded and they never had enough money that they could just make their own games they had to constantly go back on this roller coaster or this this treadmill where they're constantly trying to get games funded and that's that'll wear you down and it's really really pleasant to just be owned by a company that has unlimited money um and just only have to pitch to your superiors like that's cool so i get why he did it on the other hand I feel like a lot of what Double Fine is, is their reputation, is their ability to... Their, their games don't make a large return relative to how much they cost to make. Um, their studio's in a very expensive place. It's in San Francisco. It takes a lot of money for it's them like to make... like right down from the Nascone Center. Isn't it? Yeah, their ROI is not great, right, for a lot of their games. They're not making a, a massive amount of returns. So but what they had before was that they could throw a Kickstarter and get a bunch of money. They had goodwill. They had the will of the people. They had... They were um, really good at promoting themselves and being popular on YouTube and on things like this. They had a, they did game development as a performance in a way, right? Like they didn't yep. just make games. Also a huge part of, um, a huge part of what people got out of Double Fine wasn't just the end product. It was watching the product get developed um, and, and being part of that process and feeling part of that process. As soon as they got bought by Microsoft, they lost that. Maybe Microsoft will let them keep, you know, doing their their stuff, doing their um, documentaries their and, and their podcasts. Yeah. Even if they do, they don't have the ability to say, hey, guys, they don't have the ability to reach out to their fans and monetize that. They can't go out to their fans and be like, hey, uh, we've been we're working really hard on this bold new game. Will you kickstart it? They'll be like, no, you're owned by Microsoft. Get them to do it. So all that stuff that they did as performance before that they could get they could monetize that in different ways they can't really monetize that as much anymore in my opinion. Yeah, but at the same time they don't really need to anymore. They um, don't need to, but uh, I didn't say it was a bad idea for them. I said it was a bad sure. idea for Microsoft. 
I think Microsoft underestimates how much their revenue stream comes from these alternative solutions. The the performance, the involving the community in their games and that sort of thing, and the ways that yeah, Double Fine is monetizing that. I'm not sure that. if that's where they were think if that's. I don't know if they were even really thinking about that though when they purchased them because Double Fine is a really well known brand now, and they've been. I mean. They've been climbing up in the, you know, getting a lot of other people to know about them. I mean, they've got a, another big game coming out. Um, the next Psychonox game is going to put them on the map again, like in a different way than a lot of their smaller indie projects generally did. So I do think that now is the time to pick them up. You think they're um, about to, you think Psychonauts 2 is going to take off and they actually got the, they made a bet that Psychonauts 2 is a really, really good game that's going to, help them grow a lot i don't know about that i mean there's probably a little bit of that for sure i think you can't ignore that if you're thinking about purchasing double fine i don't think you can really ignore that i mean and then they have all these other smaller games and their amnesia stuff going on and if i was microsoft i wouldn't i wouldn't change a thing i'd let them continue to be them i would definitely agree with that mostly because it would be terrible It would be if, bad PR Tim, as yeah. well. <laughs> if Tim Schafer like, wants to tweet out, like, Microsoft were jerks to us, that's uh, going to be bad for Microsoft. I don't know. Like, I do find it really funny when John Oliver, like, constantly shits on AT&T because they, they're they the ones that pay the bills. <laughs> he's always like... Hey, business he's daddy. Like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I got you, business daddy. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so... I don't know, man. I think, I think, yeah. If they were don't smart, talk about politics just... in a games co- podcast, Mojica. We have <laughs> no, rules. <we're> <laughs> but the yeah, no, I think it's fine. I, I honestly, I think, I think Microsoft is they're sort of taking a little bit of a gamble. You know what's interesting? Somebody mentioned this the other day. I was reading some topics on this. I don't remember where I read it, but how you know Discord tried to start a store. Yeah, like they own... just canceled that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and what's scary and weird about that and it makes sense because we always talk about egs and or the epic game store mm-hmm. is that you know epic's taking a different approach to it that i think is actually working for them versus discord i don't think they really had a plan going in they were just we're going to put a bunch of games on the store and then people are going to start using it and they had like such a huge base you know they have mm-hmm. a huge base of people on here it's like 50 million or something crazy i mean technically they had the same plan Epic, they said, we'll take a smaller cut and we have, I, I mean, at the time, what everybody was looking at was there's incredible growing unrest among developers towards Steam because there's no discoverability on Steam. And there's, even among consumers at the time, um, obviously Steam's been making changes, but at the time, have you ever been stuck in that loop where you're just like looking through endless numbers of games and you just feel like everything recommended is crap or just not there's probably something better if you just keep hitting the spinner and you spend like an hour or two looking for the next game you want to play. Yeah. That's not a fun experience. And I think every consumer for the most part felt that experience at least a couple times if you've been using Steam for a while. And I think there was a lot of people saw that and a lot of people saw an opportunity to try to take to try to take a bite out of Steam to make the curated set the curated storefront. It's not like this is new. I mean, GOG's been around. GOG's big shtick is we won't do any DRM. Um, and I, I do think around. that um, I do think that like the way that Epic differs in this scenario is that they aggressively went after indies and games that people really wanted 
or proved that people really wanted either through a Kickstarter or, you know, high profile indies that haven't come out yet that are going to come out soon. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Discord was, they might've been doing that a little, but they didn't toss around. I don't know if they had the money that Epic had. They have the people, but I don't think they have the money in terms of what Epic was willing to throw around. Their exclusives Um, were much smaller. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and it is. It does prove like if you try to, because everybody. One of the biggest things people are saying about the Epic Game Store is why don't why doesn't Epic fund games that haven't um, that nobody's heard of? Why doesn't Epic go from the beginning and fund games? Why are they taking these games that people know? But the thing is, Discord tried that right, like yeah. with Bad North and with a bunch of other titles, and um, it's it's just because like how do you find? it's just hard like finding figuring out which games to fund is hard and usually you need how else do i put it so the other thing you have to keep in mind is most of the time when you hear about a game uh most of the time when a consumer hears about a game that game isn't completely funded yet because the only way you can get a publisher or anybody to fund you is to prove that there's an audience and mm-hmm. as a consumer, you are that audience. And the way that you convince produ- publishers to give you money is that you put up a store page on Steam and you promote the hell out of the game and then you show the publisher your wish list number. And you're like, look, this many people want this game. And then mm-hmm. you get funding. The problem is as soon as <laughs> there was a competitor, like as soon as people started doing that with Epic, then now there's a huge problem, right? Because all your wish lists are on Steam and you're not just you're not just pitching your game to publishers anymore. You're pitching your game to Epic now too, uh, where they will obviously want you to not have your game on Steam. So I don't think Epic is doing anything different than every other publisher. I don't think game developers are doing anything different than they've always done. It's just now we have to find a way to prove to publishers that the game is something consumers want without the the hard number, which is Steam wish lists, um, which is difficult. Because that was really that was a really easy thing to do. Just, how interested are people? This many people have wishlisted the game. Like that was a really nice right. hard number you can give to somebody. Hmm. That's interesting. Did you use that? To, I mean, just because I've never, I haven't tried that before. Um, is that something that you used to use as a as a tactic to help get uh, at the people mol- interested? At the molasses flood, yeah. Um, no, 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 not at the molasses flood. Actually, uh, oh, okay. for various reasons. Like we definitely, we used our sales numbers, but I mean, that's pretty standard. But like this many people bought the flame in the flood. We have an audience about this big. Oh, we expect right. at least that many people will buy our next game. And I suppose before but that, we, it was we like Kickstarter sh- plus, uh, mm-hmm. like I, you were like, yeah, our Kickstarter was successful and yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Obviously a successful Kickstarter helped. But I mean, another thing is a lot of people won't like you have a kickstarter as a way to to raise awareness but a lot of people won't fund your kickstarter because they don't want to give money to you if your game doesn't come out but they will wishlist your game immediately on steam while your kickstarter is going yeah so kickstarter gives you a massive spike to your your wishlist numbers that we just need something that's not wishlists now is basically what it comes down to because it is yeah because if you want to take advantage of the epic game store <laughs> i i mean do you understand Do they have a pre-order the, the button or here? anything like that on EGS? You, yeah, yeah, like kind of up for pre-order, but they but don't have because you're coming they out don't have soon. Wish lists, all right? Like you can't be like, I care about this game. That's not a thing you can do right now. 
but uh, but as soon as you have an EGS store, <clears throat> can people pre-order it? You can put up or... a coming soon page, or you can put up a pre-order page. I mean, okay. the other thing is, I don't want to say too much, not because I don't know, but because it changes so fast. Like, sure. they're building this store. They just put out, Epic put out a, uh, what do you call it? A dev portal last week. Up until now, it's been, like, in the beginning. <laughs> like, <laughs> When right. the stone tablets <laughs> were formed. No, well, I mean, in, in the beginning, in January, uh, the only way to get in the storefront was, like, you emailed Joe. <laughs> and you, had right. to, you had to know Joe, and if you didn't know Joe, you were fucked. Uh, or somebody gave you Joe's email and told you, <laughs> this is the email, and then you emailed Joe. And then I... And then that Joe hired some people, but that takes time to hire the right people and make sure they're not assholes and that this can pan out. So yeah. now there's like Joe and Hector and Coop and like, I think I'm going to guess six to eight people. There's a bunch of people I don't know anymore. They're oh, yeah. vetting the games. In the beginning, the way you got something done on the storefront was uh, you emailed uh, Amanda or <laughs> like there was two to three people and you emailed them art assets. And they would mm -hmm. show you an image of what the storefront... Keep in mind, when you're setting up a storefront, there's the way your store looks at different resolutions. There's the way your store looks on the phone. There's the way your store looks on right. different phones. You know, like, there's yeah, all these yeah, different yeah, ways yeah. your store could look. And so they would send you, like, I don't know, here's four ways the store could look based on what you've given us. And it's like, well, fuck. And so you would just email back and forth and guess and check because they didn't have the ability to show you what the store would look like in any way you could see until they published gotcha. it live. Like, That's funny. So, and in the beginning, like there was things like, um, anytime I requested a change, like I'd give them a new screenshot. For some reason, we would lose all the localization. Like, kind is being localized into nine languages. And for some reason, like this, things were stomping on each other. Like this was really rough when it started. And it, over the mm. months, like it gets better and better. They, um, they're really cool. Cause like they, um, I'm in a Slack channel with them now. Like, mm -hmm. so rather than email, we've Slack. We moved up in the world here. Nice. But it's, and now they have a portal. Like, there's an actual backend that you can look at. I can look at my sales for my pre-order numbers. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know They're if Geo, like, we had, a, we had a very similar experience with GOG where they were just like, they actually, I think for the most part, they just kind of grabbed our screenshots that we uploaded to Steam or something like that and mm -hmm. just, put a put like one of our trailers that we wanted up on the front and yeah we were... i worked with GOG. that was interesting because they just did your storefront for you yeah um, and i totally get that i mean i mean there's this pretty simplified it, it there's there's not there's not a whole lot of like super custom stuff in there mm -hmm. and i suppose steams is pretty is pretty chill as well but it, it does require a lot like i don't know i i spent a good like week and a half maybe two weeks just like muddling through like literally just trying to find the publish to workshop or like upload type thing steam is and like, so easy compared to everything else i mean it was super convoluted it was like there was a oh, million different menus I, you had to I, go here then you had to go lost, over here and then you had to like <laughs> i have lost all respect for anybody that has trouble with steam now like because they are by far the easiest and they require so little like there was some dust up because steam requires two header images now and people are like, you need two I images. Need to update that. I'm like, bitch, I've had to... For some of these stories... <laughs> do you understand Stadia is on the phone and on like the inner, in a browser? Stadia uh, is a... Is a yeah, it's yeah, non-trivial. They're doing yeah, a cool thing, like, but... Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you're going to do a store now 
at this point in time, you need to front load a lot of that stuff for the developer so that they don't have to worry about it because you're just going to end up with like a huge quality gap in a lot of things. Well, you gotta, you want your storefront to look consistent. You want all the store pages to have some kind of consistent look, which is why GOG's solution is they gate how many games can come through and they, they handcraft each page and you have to sign off, but they handcraft each page. Whereas like Epic is moving at a, a rate where they can't, necessarily do that and they want their storefront to look unified and they're building it as they go so and they've yeah. they do things i think are pretty smart like the you have to have a logo that's in flash basically and then that's on top of an image and the image can be i'm still kind of unclear in the different ways the images can be cropped google's doing some cool shit i can't talk about but okay. i'm really into some of the stuff they're doing but it is still a lot of work to get all the images together and stuff yeah i've um, got like several folders for like this website, this website, this website, you know, it just, it just keeps going on and on. Uh, mm. It's a lot of work. And it, like with the size, you can't change the size of your logo. Uh, on the Epic Game Store, something that frustrates me right now is like, if you go there, you'll see like there's an image and then there's a logo. It's always going to be in the exact middle and you can't set what that size is. <laughs> but so like every time somebody does, you take your key art from other storefronts where you probably have your logo embedded in the image. You take it out and you try to put it yeah. up there. But like you may not have the logo directly in the middle at the exact size that they do in the Epic Game Store. Maybe you have right. your logo low. Maybe you have it high. So now your logo is just like on somebody's face. <laughs> right. And so I now think you gotta that's, like for GOG. I think um, <clears throat> if I if I just glance over, I'm pretty sure the one for Proteus uh, is actually because they had like the title. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. If, if you look at the one for Proteus, uh, generally speaking, our logo is in the middle like you can see my logo right here yeah right? i it's see it behind the, you yeah yeah the word proteus is supposed to be like in the center of the the mouth or whatever but for them it was like and now it's like off to the side so now it's just like a, a void mouth thing that's just open i guess the play button is there this, and i was like well if you're gonna if you're not like, gonna have the title there we should just undarken the mouth so it's not just like uh look yeah yeah i know and you feel like like, look, I know I sound like a princess, but I've spent way too much time getting this this image to look just right. You just fucked yeah. it up with your shit. Could you please? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's hey. frustrating. It's cool being on... Like, it is cool watching these storefronts grow, though. It is really cool watching Epic grow. Like, I actually yeah. really enjoy that. And I same think it's going to be fun. Same thing with Stadia. It's going to be fun, for sure. It's fun. I'm, I'm very interested to see how Stadia turns out. I'm still pretty... Like, you know, I'm just kind of sitting on the sidelines, just just yeah. seeing how things go. <clears throat> and, you know, I hope for the best, you know. But, I mean, for me, I'm still skeptical of that whole streaming to your phone, streaming to this, and it all working, like, pretty well. Because, like, even on the Switch, I had, I had some problems, like, with input lag from my controller to my TV. And it was it was just enough that I immediately was just like, I guess I'm just going to play it in my hand from now on because like, I'm just one of those players that needs to have instant input, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that you know, just bothered me just enough. See, when I first pitched to Stadia, one of the pitches I did was that uh, Kine doesn't, Kine is a puzzle game where there's absolutely nothing twitchy. And so latency right. won't matter. And at the time they were like super bullish. They're like, we don't actually care about that. We like twitchy games. I mean, I was like, are yeah, you, I mean, that they have you to, sure? They have, to, they have to double down on that. You know that, right? Like, well, they yeah, have to double course. down on that. I mean, uh, yeah. 
And I mean, there is definitely what people say publicly and what they say behind the scenes. And I, but I think the interesting thing about, you know, a lot of people say this like it's a bad thing that Google spins up projects and pivots and and cancels some projects and stuff. But I think that's how you survive and succeed in technology, right? Is by being willing to change. And I'm curious to see how Stadia changes because I'm curious. They're they're definitely. Initially, they were really, really excited about their plans. They were going to launch like globally, worldwide. And they're like, you know what? Maybe we should gate this. Maybe we'll release in a couple of regions first. And mm-hmm. they they announced what they did, um, which I don't have memorized, so I'm going to shut the hell up. But uh, they announced the regions they're launching in, and that it requires a Stadia controller to start out with, and so forth. Um, and they're they're starting this year as opposed to next year with a core group of like um, anybody who buys the Stadia controller like this year. And they're mm-hmm. going to kind of like see how it goes and stuff and, and pivot um, the platform based on that. Because yeah. I think when I go online, so there's there's the things game developers complain about. Game developers complain about the input lag. Mm-hmm. People on the internet are complaining about like the press and shit. Uh, their biggest concern seems to be that they thought this would be Netflix. They thought it would be more like Apple Arcade. Right. Their concerns are mostly the pricing model. And I'm curious to see it, which thing consumers actually care about. Because mm-hmm. there's what the press thinks, there's what game developers think, and then there's what consumers actually do. Yeah. Because um, I'm a developer, so obviously my biggest concern was the input lag. Uh, it, yeah. It's possible most consumers don't give a fuck, especially the kinds of consumers that don't have a c- console yet. Uh, or, like, aren't... I mean, this is a Well, do you think that, like, the important that thing... have a console. Like, what was that? Go ahead. Yeah. If you think about it, this is... This is meant to be like, you buy this and this is your last console. This is a platform you buy, ideally, instead of a PS5 or the next console generation. Because they can just keep upgrading things as they go. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that this appeals to a different consumer. It's possible that this... uh, Like, it's hard to say exactly who this appeals to. And it's hard to say exactly how this hits around the world, right? Because you and I have a very American-focused view of the internet. Whereas in Africa, they they don't have landlines. Everything is 4G. So when 5G rolls out, what does that mean for Stadia in Africa? What does this mean around the world in places where there, if once you, like right now you need a controller and um, you need to buy a game controller, but soon you won't need to buy the Stadia controller. Someday you'll be able to do this just with a mouse and keyboard and any screen or sure. any controller and any screen. And when you hit that point and it's a global release, what markets does that open up that we don't think about right now? Because we are very focused on our, what we think of as the internet. I don't, right. have, I don't have the answer to that. It could be that this whole thing like is a giant disaster and it fails, but I think it's cool. I don't know. I mean, try. when you put it in that perspective, though, I think it's it's sort of like, a, I don't know, It's it's got this like, this Cinderella feeling to it, <laughs> where like, all of a sudden the glass slipper fits and like everybody just, and then things explode, right? I mean, if, if it, ex- okay, so like best case scenario, right? They reach a portion of what Steam reaches and... Like, I think for them, they know that in order to, like, really become a part of the current market, you mm-hmm. have to be, you have to hit the hardcore gamers because if they adopt it, then most likely the rest will adopt it. That's their, uh, that's their view. That's a lot of people's view. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I just, not sure how I feel about that. I'm not even sure. Like, I, I just, I think we have an assumption in our mind about how gamers behave based on what they're currently doing and what they're currently doing is skewed based on our here's the best example because i'm going mm-hmm. off on a tangent now sure my biggest gripe with steam is not anything to do with anything anybody says that you hear about like the rev share and shit 
My biggest gripe with Steam has always been that I feel that Steam unduly promotes games that have a long playtime. I think Steam has loops built into their interface that benefit people, that benefit games with a long playtime. And the way that they do this is when you see a friend playing a game, they have that little pop-up that's like, here's what your friend is playing. Yeah. Obviously, you're going to see that more if it's a game where your friend is playing for a longer amount of time. They also have, like, on their storefront, I can pull up Steam right now, but they've got the tabs, like, trending among trending, um, trending among your friends. That's based on, not on how much your friends like that game, but on how many hours your friends are putting into that game. And sure. that's a very important distinction, because I think we, just because somebody plays a game for a lot of hours doesn't mean that game is necessarily their favorite game. Or a better game. Like my favorite games are tend to be very short. Inside is one of my favorite games. Inside yeah. is a very short game. I love short narrative games or short puzzle games. Yeah. You know, single Same. player games. And these are these tend to be games that people don't play for very much. You might play a lot of them, um, and you might have a couple that are your favorites. They might be your favorite games, but there's you're not promoting those when you go on Steam. You're promoting the games that you put the most hours into. And I think this tends to skew things so that. Games that are have a lot of hours are more successful, and this is why you see roguelikes being so successful. This is why you see mm-hmm. the these games that we make as indies. We've decided the consumers want these games. We've decided that based on the fact that Steam promotes them accidentally through their algorithms and stuff. And when I see right. new storefronts, what excites me isn't that I think they're gonna do what Steam does, but better. It's that maybe they accidentally or intentionally do something different. Like, I would right. love to see the storefront that just has highly curated, that's curated, amazing, small gems. I'd love to see the storefront where rather than we promote the games that your friends are currently playing the most hours right now, I want to see the storefront where we promote what your friends rank is the best games, for instance. Like, why isn't right. that, why isn't that tab the games that most of your friends like or the games that your friends rate the highest? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's... There's an interesting thing going on right now where they're they're trying. I think they know that they're in trouble. Um, Steam. In terms of yeah, I, I do. Mm-hmm. I think I think a cool. lot of people sit around <laughs> and they try and fix that that problem. Um, yeah. And I think one of the things that's come out recently is like you know Achiro did that. Uh, he's been working on like the six second trailer type thing where it like comes together and like uh, there's a lot of other things where like they'll. Like people are putting together massive trailers that like have like a bunch of games that you maybe never heard of. Well, there's, um, that. there's another, you know, Ichiro did that thing with the micro trailers, and the very first thing like most of my friend circle said was, "We need to look into how to game that algorithm so we have the perfect micro trailer." Right. <laughs> like it's how like, do we how do we fuss okay, well, with our trailer? First, is it the first second, and the the fifteenth second, and then like you know how do <laughs> yeah. I how do I put that together? So, I know a lot of people were kind of like, "Oh, I want to upload my own micro trailer because yeah. then that would be." that'd be good so so Um, these storefronts in a way it it just becomes like it becomes this cycle right where everybody i don't know but i i will say i don't think i I like that i like the amount of pressure that's on steam right now because you're seeing that they're trying new things right yeah like it's obvious the micro trailers thing was cool didn't they do something this week they changed the algorithm yeah so i think that's the thing that i was trying to allude to is that the there's people out there that are trying to do new things with like, okay, so you have like a little bar and it goes from like niche to like things that you would maybe like, and you can kind of just slide it and then hit the go button and it'll pop up some things that are like, okay, so like, for example, you've played some racing games 
okay but maybe maybe you've never heard of like a bunch of racing games that are on there that you might like that are just that literally never hit their market right maybe they only sold like a thousand copies or something but they had some positive reviews the algorithm then grabs those titles from like the bottom of the bucket and then brings them up to the the middle to surface up a little bit more. So then people are starting to see these games that they've never seen. Like I thought it was super interesting, like hella interesting because uh, I I tried it out and I was like, wow, look at all these cool games that I've never seen like ever. And they look pretty high quality and it made me feel really bad as an indie. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard it. Like some of these games could be like my favorite games that I've never played. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's like an infinite number of them at this point. There is literally like a sea of games yeah. that no one's ever heard of that, you know, get introduced every single day. And like some of them are good. Some of them are bad, whatever. Mm-hmm. But they're there. And like, I think that, that they're trying to address the fact that like, you know, so many games get added per day. They, and... Yeah, I mean, I feel for everybody involved in this, right? Like, I feel for Steam because they, they're in a position where anytime they try to innovate or change something on their storefront, they have just a wave of backlash. First off, you, yep. have, you have the people who are trying to take anything they do and um, monetize it in kind of like an evil way, like what you saw with the Steam trading cards. You have the people yeah. who, like, you put out this thing with micro trailers. Some people have micro trailers look awful because they're it just doesn't work well for their trailer. Do you blame those people yep. for trying to like tweak the tweak their trailer a little bit, tweak the cuts? No, because like, no. the micro trailer might be the only thing that gives them like a like a viral hit yeah. randomly. And, and then like, so some people do that, and so then everybody feels the need to do it, and so everybody's like, "Why did Steam go change this?" And then Steam has to change it back because you know part of tech is trying things and failing. Um, and so it becomes a nightmare to innovate at all. Like I get, I just think it's good that there's more competition in the market right now in general. Absolutely. I know I'm saying that as somebody who's like, obviously I think that, right? Like <laughs> I took advantage of that real hard, but, but I just, yeah. I, I would hope even if I didn't have these, um, deals worked out, I would still be really excited about the competition in the marketplace. I think it's good. For sure. I mean, we, um, when we were at PAX, we got, we got approached by, um, another marketplace that's really trying to jump up called turbo or something like that. Mm. Um, they sent me like a PDF recently cause they want essentially their thing is that they have, <laughs> they have turbo bucks, <laughs> but they also have, uh, they wanted to do like a 10% for them, 90% for you as the developer. Uh, but at the same time, when people come to their platform, their whole thing was like, uh, you know, you you rack up bucks for playing games. Yeah, it's I think it's called uh, Turbo Play. Yeah. Um, so the more you you play... rack up bucks for playing games that you can then spend on like other games. So if somebody buys a, your game with their Turbo Bucks, um, the developer still gets that money, um, and it's like it's just like a an ecosystem for them to keep people coming back and playing more games hmm. and things like that. But I don't know how successful something like that will be when like you've got Epic Games and like like free games coming out all the time that are you know like Humble Bundle does a really great job of like giving you you know great. I think like their curated Humble, Humble Bundle like, interesting. Six for a month is like really good. Yeah, um, Humble Bundle is interesting. So Humble Humble is sits on top of everything else and uses other storefronts, right? Like mm-hmm. you through Humble, you get a, you don't get the executable for the game. You get a Steam key. 
that confused so, me by the way i was talking to john and connor about that and i was like so when do we have to do updates through you guys and they're like what do you mean and i'm like well don't you have like a store where everything lives or something <laughs> you know and i was no. i was trying to like I, I just totally forgot that they only deal in keys and it totally threw me off i was like wait a minute oh yeah so like, you guys don't actually have a store no they're interesting they they kind of sit on top of things and how do i put it i mean in a way it's a very symbiotic relationship um because it humble is more likely to pull new people into the ecosystem than steam valve puts no little to no effort into pulling new people into their ecosystem they rely on other people to do it sure and that's why um steam will give you keys to give away or sell in a way like um mm -hmm. You can sell Steam keys at uh, PAX. I was selling Epic Game Store keys at PAX for the same reason. Like mm -hmm. the kind of consumer that's walking around PAX probably doesn't have a storefront installed, perhaps. Um, and this is how they get their new customers into their ecosystem. Right. Um, whereas Humble doesn't feel any particular need to lock people into an ecosystem they already have. Yeah, I don't know. Humble's always I mean, been really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I was on their page the other day and I was trying to look through it. And, you know, I heard that they. You know, there was a few months ago or maybe a year ago they sold like the original they like sold or like merged with somebody else and it was a pretty big deal and mm -hmm. then when i looked at their store like yesterday i was like okay well let me let me find the indies and it should be like first thing i see on the page but it wasn't it was all like triple a stuff and that really threw me that really threw me off for a bit i was kind of like I even told that to them when uh, when we were at PAX. I was like, "Yeah, I went to you guys' website the other day, and I was like, well, where, where do you guys keep the indie stuff?'" I was like, "You know, I I was like, all I saw was AAA stuff like Call of Duty and and this and that, and and it kind of threw me off. I was like, well, if you're gonna promote my game, like, wouldn't it, you know, why are you promoting AAA stuff? Like, they don't need to be promoted. <laughs> like, they don't, like, well, you I mean, know, I Humble think they're, was, they're trying to be a competitive storefront too." I guess a storefront that doesn't have a storefront. I don't know. Well, that I mean, that was what it was confusing to me. And and like they have the I ability. Was... What's interesting is what if humble. What if you could sell Proteus Steam keys on Proteus? So say you're already on Steam. You're already in Steam, and you already get a seventy thirty split on Steam, right? Mm -hmm. But you can also sell your game through the humble store. You do absolutely no effort. They're just selling Steam keys, but you get eighty twenty. No. That's not what happens, but wouldn't that be weird and interesting? <laughs> well, how would that even work? I mean, Steam would have to partner with them. To they do already that. are kind of partnered. But like, there's Humble, like some automatic. I mean, okay, sure. Like for. I mean, now you're just circumstances. Using sure, that could be. That could be interesting. I'm, and but oh. they would be purposely scuttling their own. I don't know what. I, I mean, Steam already. That, but... Do you understand that Steam already does that though, right? Like. Steam key takes 0% of any Humble key. So every time you sell something through the Humble bundle, you cut a deal with Humble, you and Humble split the money, Epic, or sorry, uh, Valve gets nothing. Right. Okay, so you're talking about the keys, the, the generated keys, not necessarily the other stuff. Okay, yeah, okay. I, yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, if, if that was the case, though, I mean, there'd be a really interesting... I think Valve would almost see an, an immediate shift to lots of requests for keys <laughs> because if you be like well i'm just gonna sell through humble at this point i mean they you know you it's only you a matter of time before somebody starts pushing on that and you're already seeing like it's not 
it's never been quite that blatant. I mean, I mean, in all reality, though, well, like if that did happen, what if it was just like, twenty five? Like, on if you sell a key through Humble, you get twenty five percent. If you sell a key through Steam, you get sorry, uh, Humble takes twenty five percent, Steam takes thirty percent. Say that happened, right? I mm-hmm. mean, would how mad would Valve be? Like, if Humble did that to Valve? Well, there was a website that did that, though. Um, that was different. Those were stolen keys. Yeah. I, I don't think... You can't say that 90% of it was stolen. Maybe maybe 30 or 40. Probably. Mostly, yeah. I mean, well, the, the big thing there was people would buy, like... um, You would get, like, a Humble bundle. There'd be a couple games you didn't want. You'd sell them, resell your keys, which was harmless. But a lot of that stuff... The reason why people were so mad about that and that became such a big thing was because of um, cash. Uh, you'd buy keys with a credit card, wait a month, report that credit card stolen, get all the money back. And then mm-hmm. there was no easy way for the developer to cancel those keys. So the developer got no money. Um, mm. That was the reason why people were mad at those. Yeah, I'm mostly worried about, like, as an indie dev, generating a bunch of free keys just isn't something that sounds appealing to me generating a bunch of free keys what do you mean generating a bunch of keys to give to another store or how do you think humble works i know that but it's still there's still like a reflex action where i'm just like like for example you know when the game comes out there's going to be a lot of people asking for codes right oh yeah and i feel like for me it it'll be cheaper if we just don't give out any codes for the game afterwards. Like we'll do it to our Kickstarter people because yeah. they deserve it. I mean, that's, but then like afterwards, I'm just like the game's so cheap. Anybody, anybody should be able to buy a review copy and play the game. I mean, you'll give away a couple review copies to like, if Polygon wants a review key, you're probably going to give them a code Mohika. Sure. But, like you'll There's... give away a couple. Like, yeah, we're probably, talking Polygon. We're talking like, Code yeah, Talk, sure. Like, I there'll mean, be a couple of those at least. But, why not? Uh, but like Super Joe's like mega gaming. No, no. And anybody, anybody that's like, yo, give us keys so we can give away at our giveaway. But just be like, no. Like unless it's a charity you care about, just be like, no. That's pretty standard. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you want to be in, if you decide to put Proteus in the humble bundle, you will go to valve and you will say i need a thousand keys and then you will give that thousand keys to humble that's just what you're gonna do possibly more or less than that depends but like yeah yeah, that's that's not weird that's how humble operates right yeah i guess i'm not i'm not super okay so i think humble is the example or like the outlier that i wouldn't be necessarily talking about but Mm -hmm. uh in a lot of the other cases well that's that's actually what i'm talking about but yeah yeah so side question because you're like right in the midst of going to cert right now right what's your whole week been like this whole week you know you're basically almost ready to to ship your game Uh (laughs) (laughs) okay uh yeah i did say we could talk about that didn't i oh yeah i don't know oh god uh what's my week been like it's hard to remember past a couple of days ago. I, I mean, it's not like, it's not like I'm working from when I wake up to go, when I go to sleep. That's actually not it. It's just things keep coming up and it's hard to explain. It's like, um, so I'm doing something called compliance testing where they make sure that 
that the game will pass cert on Xbox, right? Like this is a special kind of QA mm -hmm. just for Xbox or each of the platforms, right? Yeah. Um, and they'll find something like there's some requirement where if a person plugs in a second controller, they have to have a screen that comes up and is like, do you want to change users? So then I have to go in and I have to make a screen and Elmore has to, my programmer who's doing the port has to hook up that screen. But then obviously I'm also coming out in nine languages, right? So I have to go get that. I have to go send an email and be like, oh shit, sorry, there's a new string. We have to get translated into the eight other languages. Oh. Um, so every change becomes a multi-day thing and every oh change gosh. has massive impacts. And, and there's just been a lot of loops like this that are hard that you don't see coming where something from one platform will affect another one. I mean, I'm down, I'm pretty close to this point. I can pull up my list right now. Uh, <laughs> like I'm done with the PS4 port. That one was the Oof, easiest. Congratulations. Yeah. In order, I like I can rank, coffee. I can very easily rank them from easiest to hardest. Mm. Like hardest. Please do. Hardest for a million reasons is Stadia. Just like, I mean, that shouldn't be a surprise, right? Like, this is a making. That is a surprise to me. I thought that'd be a lot more straightforward. Oh, I mean. Anyways, we don't no, have to, we no, don't have to we dig into that. Because it, it, it is interesting why it's difficult. Why is Stadia the hardest? Is it mostly well, because they just don't have a lot of uh, written written word yet? Like, Oh, good Lord, no. Loads of documentation. Uh, oh, okay. So, why is Stadia the hardest? Um, so, things that I didn't expect that I had to do on Stadia are things like if somebody plugs in an Xbox controller, then I have to have all the hints move over from being the Stadia controller to the Xbox controller. If they plug sure. in a PS4 controller, I have to have all the hints move over to those those remappings. I have to find a way, which means I have to find a way to detect what kind of controller you're using. Um, yeah. I have to support on this one platform, both mouse and keyboard and any given controller and hot swapping between them. I have to make sure that the game looks just as good and is as readable on a phone as it is on the computer, which I haven't done yet. Like I'm trying to figure out how to detect if you're on a phone so that I can change the scaling of the UI if you're on a phone, because obviously the UI needs to be bigger. And I've already figured that out for Switch. Like I can scale the UI dynamically to be bigger on the Switch because you have to, so you can read it if it's. That's a big thing. ask, though. That's, I think that's the ask of Stadia. Like that's what the what the platform is is a game that can run on any screen, right? That's so. I so, I just realized like yeah no you're totally like, I never thought that was gonna be the thing that was difficult, and then I realized now that yeah if you switch over, you know you're playing Assassin's Creed on your phone all of a sudden that the UI kind of needs to change. Completely to change. Oh man, see, I don't, ooh. And there's, there's other ugh. things too. Like Google is a company with certain, um, okay, this is a story that makes me look bad, but it is a good story. <laughs> Google has certain requirements because they are a, a public company that mostly like at their core wants to do good, right? Like they're good. Um, yep. And one of those requirements is that uh, uh, keyboard remapping, which is something I didn't anticipate having to do and wasn't in my contract or anything. So I just wasn't going to do it. And so mm -hmm. I, I requested a waiver. This has been a this has been a thing that's been going on for a bit. It's like mm. uh, I'm one I'm one person. I like I'm a solo developer. I, I don't think I can do key remapping. And they're like, but you have to. It's like, oh, well, well, 
you know, like the, the way that this is laid out is you can play with your left hand or your right hands. Like there, you know, I've got all these different controller configurations you can choose from, but that's not good enough. Well, the thing is, and I'm like trying really hard to negotiate and I got them down to, okay, what if there's a patch within three months of launch that adds key remapping? Because the thing is, if I add key remapping now, I have to, if I add key remapping now, that's another thing that I have to get localized into nine different languages because now you have the thing, you don't think about it, but every time you add a UI screen, like not yeah. only is it just making sure that it doesn't break everything else and that it's okay with all these other builds, uh, and it's figuring out how to get the hint prompts when you're in game to show you the correct hint key, which is like, I don't even know how I would do that. So we're talking about- I a think Unity has a plug, like somebody made a plugin on the marketplace for that. So the, I the thing is like the hints are, the way that I tell people like, here's the key you hit is with a, a fucking texture on a piece of paper in the game. Right. So I'm, I didn't think that through when I set that up. So yeah, you have to have some kind of Boolean structure or like a not just a bool. If they can remap the key, I have to have a yeah. a way to put the correct key on that butt on the it texture. So yeah. so I didn't think that through all the way, right? So like, <laughs> so, <Sorry. laughs> so like I'm like this is the worst part of game development. It's like. Really cool being indie, but then when you realize you got to do all the things that the programmers have to do, late game is like not fun. So, and I'm sure most of them are just sitting back laughing now. I, I'm sitting, like, I know, and I'm sitting here like, all right, all right, this is fine. This is going to be fine. But I, 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 do you know the depths I went to? When we were at PAX, I actually had an emergency meeting with Tara. People who are listening may not know who Tara is. We worked with yeah. her. She was in QA at Irrational. She mm -hmm. moved over to Microsoft. She spearheaded the um, adaptive controller. And now she's, she's at Mixer right now, right? Yeah, it, it, she's on the Mixer team. She worked heavily with the adaptive controller. And I'm like, Tara, I have this really inclusive key binding thing that's great for, for you know, disabled people. I don't know the right terms. I'm sorry. I'm a bad person. But, like, I, I like I, I've got a decent one, right? She's like, yeah. She's like, well, Google kind of wants me to add button remapping, but I don't think I need, or key remapping, but I don't think I need to do that. She's like, oh, you do. It's like Tara, I need you to be a friend right now, dear. <laughs> could, could, how, if you were trying to wiggle out of this, what language would you use to convince somebody? <laughs> I'm like trying to have her help me craft an email to get me out of rem remapping, and Tara's just like, Gwen, you bitch, no. <laughs> just like, well, like you know, Tara is like, she's the poster for. I know. She's like, I'm not gonna help you do this, and I'm like, what? What if? Well, you know what? what it would really sunk it in for me, and I know Mike is already planning on doing keep well i think so we might be lucky just in the fact that i think there's a store plugin that somebody made that automatically does that stuff for unity uh but it's... i imagine somebody might have done that for unreal and if they didn't you might be able to make it and then sell it on the marketplace <laughs> it's but not they... there's no money in selling any of that stuff in the marketplace right now and and it's like and the thing is it's an insane amount of work but it's not just that it's an insane amount of work it's that if I make this new UI screen, I have to A, make sure it doesn't break all the other platforms, and then B, I have to get it localized, <laughs> which means, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm having a fight right now with my localization company. And just the, like, also I need these 10 more strings localized, which is just input device. And then you have to make sure that input device, which is going to be about 14 times longer than you would expect in German, still shows up on your goddamn UI. And this is my life. Like, this is what this these last few weeks Ugh. have been it's just things like this on loop right like uh, oh my gosh the 
and you're paying people to like localize your stuff as well so like yeah but you have to do the input right or, or yeah. are they hooked into your like so the way that localization works in unreal is you they've got a thing that will gather up all those text strings yeah and and i thought that was amazing because it was so easy you just click a button um you've identified every text every string of text that you need localized or not you you flip a bool on that text they've got like a text object it's like needs to be localized doesn't the whole mm -hmm. interface for all this i learned in like half a day i was really impressed with how well unreal handles this right. but what it outputs is just each and every string in a random order right so right it's not yeah it's just all gathered so you, you so, there's no real rhyme or reason to so most of it yeah so and sometimes things just don't make sense out of context or you get things where it's like um there's this one character one point where rue says what is this in three different dialogue boxes well that those words are different <laughs> but they're in different strings and there's another place where I did something similar, but and also used the word is, but that is has to be a different is in different languages. <laughs> so, so because like, I don't know. Reasons. You're like not sure. You're like trying to connect the dots. So, like you're yeah. connecting the Pepe Sylvia like strings on so, the wall. <laughs> so the first pass that they did of the translations came back and I had playtesters play it. And they're like, this fucking makes no sense. <laughs> like it's terrible. The one of the characters in Japanese, apparently they just uh, changed her gender between he and she just constantly oh wow uh, like so i had to get another pass done and, and we're talking about it and this isn't some of there's also other things that happened with the localization company i think they could have done a better job in certain ways there's mm -hmm. certain things where like there's just punctuation missing in places and stuff and yeah my, so. my wife was um helping uh translate chinese novels into english recently uh with a friend of hers and the friend would do the initial translation and then my wife would be doing like the editing and like she's just like this doesn't make any sense why would they be talking about this something sad just happened and you're like they jump for joy here they're like <laughs> there's like bad translation stuff or like it literally makes no sense yeah. and then you're like you're like we need to look we need to like talk to some people about what this word means and it's like oh no they weren't jumping for joy they were like weeping yeah. you know and it's like <laughs> there's like <laughs> and you get into with chinese you get into weird politics too that you didn't anticipate right because like there's if you talk to people on the internet like on twitter they will mm -hmm. swear up and down that um the, so there's traditional chinese and there's simplified chinese right yeah they'll swear up and down that like you should have both or that one is more important than the other but that's because the people on twitter are probably from hong kong like hmm. Where there's a with the people from Hong population. Kong generally like, I, I think it's just different. Like one mm. one's I don't know much about this, but like I'm one assuming segment, that they like the shorthand. Uh, simplified Chinese is the one everybody uses. Like because gotcha. the other thing is like when you're looking at cost per word, Chinese is by far the most expensive. Uh, Chinese, Korean, Japanese are more expensive than the Oof. English. Just like the cost because you pay for translation by word. Right. Uh, so are you translating into Chinese? Yeah. Ooh. Oh, that's all I'll say. Yeah, I'm doing eight <laughs> languages. I the one I didn't need to do that I chose to do was Portuguese, um, Brazilian Portuguese. Gotcha. I mean, I just am bullish on Brazil. I don't know Spanish why. It's like, kind of like they can. Eh, I don't want to like overreach there, but I feel like if you do it into Spanish, there's a lot of things that kind of like share. Perhaps um, there's a lot of people in Portugal. Much. We translated the Flame of the Flood into Portugal, and we saw a pretty sizable number of people use it. So. Oh, that's pretty cool, actually. The the standard is e frigs is English, French, 
uh, sorry, efigs. English, French, yeah. I is Spanish, German. Yep. Yeah. Italian. Sorry, I is Italian. Efigs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like um, when we were working on Payday, we had a good sizable number from Russia that I was pretty, I was pretty surprised about. Mm -hmm. um, we used to start making character packs for like specific countries, mm -hmm. uh, which was kind of fun and, that, and that's very pretty, interesting. That's pretty standard, and you'll see things like. But the thing is, just because you have people in a certain region that really like to play the game, like for instance, there's no. Never translate your game into Dutch, even if you have a shit ton of people that play it. That um, they'll just want to play the English version anyway because they don't like shitty translations. <laughs> like, because they, they would rather play the language, play the game, and they if you there's certain regions that are bilingual and they just want to play the, the game in the language that it was made in. Sure. Because there's certain things like puns aren't going to translate, right? Right. Yeah. So, sure. Yeah, yeah. This is my life. <laughs> well, so. Uh, on your list of things that you do you still have like a lot of things left for cert for xbox for xbox um well that, that's what xbox i thought you were working the, on right now uh no today i i want to prove to the good people at google that i have a plan for for key remapping and possibly button remapping and i want to I, I want to take that in a branch far enough along that I can be like, look, I really can do this. Here's what I'm going to do. Can you please wait mm -hmm. for this? And then I'll try to get it done for launch. And if not, I'll get it done soon afterwards. Like that's my plan today is to get that done. Um, I think we're, we're simultaneously the most and the least worried about Stadia because Stadia, I'm launching on all platforms other than Stadia, October 17th, which mm -hmm. means I have to submit, I have to submit the switch by September 17th or get a waiver and I'm not confident I can get a waiver to submit late for cert on the switch because mm. Apple Arcade is dropping and with that a shit ton of switch titles are going through um, oh really yeah because Apple Arcade those games are coming out on cross-platform and so I am competing oh I didn't know that competing with far more famous indies right now for for um oh my god I need to look up Apple Arcade I haven't heard anything really about it except from you yeah it's coming out on the 19th on the night September 19th yeah uh, no no it's coming out in four days this week okay Apple Arcade all 50 games yeah and you're one of those no no. No, but those games, a lot of them are coming out on cross-platform. So they'll also be on Steam. They'll also be on Switch and so forth. So Interesting. So th there is a lot of games dropping right now in the near future, oh dropping gosh. into cert. There's I a lot you, of unique-looking games in I know. here. I told you this was coming. Like, I mean, this was my biggest fear is the... I, I was worried Stadia would drop a, just as many titles, too. That this, the end of the year, would just be crap tons of indie games. In a way, You it mean is. in um, in December-ish? Uh, Stadia, I think they're announced. What have they announced? I think they've said it's coming out in November, but not exactly when. Okay. Pretty sure they said. Yeah, that. I think um, like I'm worried. Like I would almost rather not be caught up in the in the group releases. I don't know. What do well, you think is better? Do you think it's better to like be a part of like a big group release? Oh, it depends, right? Like if you you want to come out. You don't want to be the person launching on the like a premium game on the iPhone at the same time Apple Arcade drops. 
and everybody's getting one month free of Apple Arcade games. So everybody's well, getting Well, if you 15, were a part of the Apple Arcade But drop. if you're part of it, then you're getting paid handsomely by Apple, then yeah. Yeah, I of course. Yeah, I was thinking that's fantastic. Like, they're paying very oh, well Sayonara, Wild Hearts. I'm excited to try that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, a lot. Of, well, they even have Sega up here doing, like, some racing game thing. Yeah, there's a lot of games coming out. They look good. Oh, my gosh. It's too many games, man. I told you this was coming. I've been saying it. I've been saying it to anybody who would listen. This year, next year's going to be Photoshopped. Play. There's like, you're outside your cardboard hut and you're like, there's too many games. Like, your no, no, just, this, too just many games. this year. Just, I felt like there was going to be a shit ton of triple I titles right in Q4 this year. And I knew I was launching in Q4 because I knew I was going to be on Stadia. So I can't launch later than Stadia launches. So I pushed us mm. up as close to Stadia as I could. I actually thought, like, if shit hits the fan, I would slip my launch date to be this to line up with Stadia. But ideally, because I'm not getting paid to be a Stadia exclusive, mm -hmm. ideally I launch beforehand so that I avoid any rush that happens there. Also, I think I'm ready for the most part. I'm ready. Uh, I've got one bug on the Switch I've got to figure out, which is... Uh, You've got this. Yeah. I've, I've got two bugs. Ne neither of them will stop cert on the Switch. They're just cosmetic issues I wish I could fix specifically for the Switch. Gotcha. So I could, if sh the shit hits the fan, rather than ask for a waiver, I'm just going to submit to cert and then make a patch that fixes those two cosmetic bugs. And how, that'll just be what How happens. long do you have to be submitted before you launch on like a store? For example, for like, for, for Switch, is it like a month ahead of time? They have or? exactly a month unless you get a waiver, yeah. Exactly a month. Okay. So you have to, you have to upload your to ROM and request a cert at least one month before launch. And then they have to like probably get back to you within like a week. And then they're like, okay, we're going to queue this up. And then mm -hmm. they're going to look through it. You know, my favorite thing about working with Google, every, like all these other platforms, you have to figure out their interface. Everything to do with Google uses Google stuff. So like the way you schedule your cert is on Google calendar. So it's That's like, funny. I don't have to Yeah, of course out. they do that. Of yeah. Or like, that. like we're talking right now on Google Hangouts. You know who else I do this with? Anytime I have a Google meeting. We just used to, like, it's crazy because all of their, everybody else, I have to learn the new software for yeah, every fucking person. But with Google, it's amazing because it's like, oh, I do this anyway. That's great. Yeah, it's just, it's just Google. That's it's the just, one, just that's things. one of the few good things. Bad things is they're uh, very adamant that there will be about key remapping, which is actually kind of beautiful. I mean, I think I don't think ass. that our game would be able to get away without ha keyboard mapping because mm -hmm. a lot of first-person shooter people play weird on their keyboards, like a lot, um, play super strange keyboard setups. Like you'd think that most people would just do WASDA, but or like the arrow keys, but a lot of people do like weird setups, like Windows key Z Alt space, like <laughs> like for movement, or like. Uh, like one guy at Raven, he used to, um, I let him use my computer once to play a portal level that I was working on and he remapped all my keys and they saved on the cloud and he had move was on left click. So go forward was on left click and he just remapped everything so strange. It's time for new friends. And when I sat down, I was like, what the fuck? And ever since then, I disabled the cloud. <laughs> Like I literally just say I haven't gone back. Like I disabled cloud such a long time ago. So keyboard things like that wouldn't happen again. 
yeah, yeah, that's silly. It's time for new friends. All right, I think we should wrap up the show and then take it to questions for Twitter people. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that's, I mean, that's good. I mean, so, you know, your game's coming out pretty soon. and One month you know. and two days, which is why I'm oh my certain gosh. tomorrow. Yeah. Are you gonna do like a are you gonna do like a launch party in Boston with the Boston Indies or anything like that? I don't know. It's hard to say because I have the launch and then I have the launch immediately afterwards on Stadia. I mean, I want a party. I'm tired. I'd I like think it's important to to enjoy that moment. Yeah, but that's just like, another thing I have to plan. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who's a Boston indie that's listening right now, you set up a set up a get together so that Gwen can enjoy her game. It could be a surprise party, you know. Surprise launch have party. To be, yeah, a surprise launch party. All right, work. I'll I'll hold my breath for that. But thank you for chatting with me, Mohika. Yeah, man. yeah, that was fun. It was fun. It was good times. This has been Indie Gwen time. Frey and Jason Mohika, and you've been in the dialogue box. <laughs> <laughs>